Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Stephanie Chapilski. Stephanie is from Winnipeg, Manitoba. She currently works at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights as the Assistant Registrar, assisting with loans, copyright, and collections management. She's interested in natural and cultural heritage with a goal to celebrate and preserve it in all of its tangible and intangible forms. She is a member of the Youth Advisory Group under the Canadian Commission for UNESCO. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dale. Hi. Thank you for coming all the way from Winnipeg just to be on this show. Thank you for having me here. (laughs) Uh, You're here for the uh, Youth Heritage Forum. I am, yeah. And uh, you're here repping the Youth Action Group for the Canadian Commission for UNESCO. So for people who might not be familiar with that, tell me a little bit about the Canadian Commission for UNESCO and about the Youth Action Group. Where do you want to start? Yeah. So I guess the Canadian Commission for UNESCO is the division based in Canada. Uh, And UNESCO is an organization that looks at education, science, culture, communication, Um, and so all aspects related to that, uh, supporting a lot of organizations and community groups um, and professionals are getting together to provide advice uh, as well as to participate and network and really just have the opportunity to speak about issues that concern Canadians and um, I guess our connection to the world. So out of that, there was a really uh, great initiative that was put put to the youth program officer within the Canadian Commission for UNESCO to make a youth advisory group. Um, And I'm failing to remember at this moment when it began. I... I won't. I, I have a guess in my brain, but I don't want to say something wrong on the radio. So we'll, <laughs> we'll Google it, okay? And we can look it up later. Um, I suspect it was in the late 1990s, though. Uh, and uh, so it's taken on different forms as it, as it evolves. Uh, and basically, what it is is gathering a group of like-minded um, young adults together to form a group. So the age range is 18 to 30 right now, and Roughly, well, I think right now we have just a little over 30 people in the group, and it fluctuates. Um, There's an application process to get in, and what's interesting is it brings together people from across Canada, from all the provinces and territories, and that's the goal, is to make sure that there's a voice from all regions. And then it provides you the opportunity to network with other people your age uh, who are going through different stages of life together. So whether you're looking to get into a program uh, for university or college or some other way of learning, uh, you have the opportunity to talk to each other. You have the opportunity to work with the Canadian Commission for UNESCO and understand what kind of programs they support, uh, as well as in your own regions, you get to start to meet and network with uh, persons and organizations who are who are on the ground working in the field, grassroots all the way up to larger organizations. And so it's a really neat gathering that gives you a glimpse into maybe your professional career, maybe a hobby or an interest that you want to pursue, maybe a, a life passion that you want to um, continue on with. Um, how did you get How did you get involved with it? Yeah, I was I was working for Parks Canada one summer as a heritage interpreter, uh, working at a, a heritage site. Um, dressed up in costume, tour guiding, interpreting. and an was, this in, in, was this in Winnipeg? This was just outside of Winnipeg in at Lower Fort Dairy National Historic Site. And uh, so that's just near Selkirk, Manitoba, um, north of Lockport, south of Selkirk. Uh, and there was an email that went out um, that said that there was going to be this uh, World Heritage Forum or commission that was happening in Quebec City in that summer, which was 2008, um, and you could apply to go. 
And it, the sponsor at the bottom was the Canadian Commission for UNESCO. So I applied, not thinking I would get in, and then I got in. And what turned out to be was there was putting together a youth forum, and there was going to be 15 Canadians and then 15 international students or participants that were selected. I, I don't know how they were selected by their countries, because that's, that's huge to be the one person from your country to go. Mm-hmm, yeah. And this... Um, World Heritage Convention happens every year in a different place, and it was happening in Canada. So prior to the convention, they put together this youth forum, and we got to go to three different locations in Canada to look at World Heritage sites. So we all convened in Ottawa. I should preface by saying I did get selected to go, which is awesome. Um, And so we went to Ottawa. That's where we all met each other. And we got to see the Rideau Canal as a heritage site, and then from there we split up into three groups. Some people went to um, Central Alberta, Southern Alberta. I happened to get to go to Newfoundland, um, which was awesome. And we went to go see Gross Morn National Park as well as um, Lanceau Meadows and uh, Porto Chois, is that yeah. how I pronounce it? In between, all places around there. So Parks Canada and the Canadian Commission for NASCO were really hosting this event. And after we went out into the field, we came back to um, Quebec City. And that's where the convention was. And you got to be in this international convention and you got to sit on the floor and help be a page and really just get dove in and I was somewhat unprepared I think one day I showed up and I didn't know we were gonna be on the floor and I had jeans and open-toed shoes and I was like oh no I gotta go to get changed and like be professional and so after that I that long-winded story is to say that I found out that there was this youth advisory group and for about a year I didn't really apply for it and then they said you know we know you had this experience and you really enjoyed it. You might like coming into the youth advisor group. And so probably 2009 or 10, I did that. And I've been in it ever since. Um, and it's been wonderful. That's how I found out about it. So I, I started off like kind of just working a summer job, not thinking about it in Parks Canada. And then slowly, just by opportunity and paying attention to what was put in front of me, I got into this group and... It's provided me the opportunity to meet amazing people. Um, I've built friendships across Canada. We get to see each other. There's a hilarious amount of Winnipeggers that have been involved <laughs> yeah, I was as say, of recently. A lot of, a lot of people from Manitoba. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I should say Manitobans because outside of Winnipeg, too. Um, and uh, this will be my last year. And it's it's good because I think there needs to be an overturn so that more people can get the experience that I got to have. Uh, it fluctuates. You have to really figure out what you want to get out of it. And so I chose to look at it as an opportunity to learn about different areas and regions of Canada and how we interne- connect internationally, but also use it as a mentorship and um, networking opportunity. I relied on a lot of advice from people because I was trying to figure out what to do with university and college. Mm-hmm. And so um, seeing what other people my age were doing and where they were going was a really great advantage and helped guide me in my kind of choice for profession and career. And having those networks in my own province and meeting people was really great, as well as across Canada. I've gotten to travel around and do different contracts. And certainly there are people within the Youth Action Group that are interested in in heritage and culture, but there there are lots of people that are coming from very, very different sectors as well. Yeah, absolutely. There is a strong amount of uh, participants who have a science background, Right now, and as I say, it fluctuates based on who's coming in and going out. Um, There's a lot based in the medical field, uh, which I find so intriguing. I'm a huge supporter of the idea that arts and culture and science 
um, and communication, they're all mishmashed together. I mean, for me, natural and cultural and scientific, they all rely on one each other. They kind of uh, feed each other information and and give us a reason to, I don't know, go kind of operate. Uh, so I definitely appreciate when there's somebody there from a different organize, uh, field than me because that's how I learn. Uh, I see how my world interacts with them and it kind of, well, validates what I'm doing, but it also makes me understand what I need to change or do to react or adapt or incorporate somebody else's field and of study information into my life. So this year, the uh, the annual general meeting for the Canadian Commission for UNESCO is going to be in Winnipeg. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, very excited. I'm excited as well. And and part of it will be hosted at the uh, at the museum that you that you work at. Yeah, the Canadian yeah. Museum for Human Rights. Yeah. Um, go on. <laughs> what, you, what would you like to know? Um, what what will the involvement of the youth group be with the AGM, and, or what has it been in the past? Yeah, in the past, um, this year they haven't fully put out, well, they put out a, a kind of a draft of what's going to be happening. But in my past experiences, having gone to a couple of them, um, generally there's one day where uh, the youth advisory group gets together and they have the whole day together. Uh, and it's usually structured that we each get an opportunity to have a couple of minutes to say what projects we've been working on, where we come from. It's the first chance you get to meet somebody who's new to the youth advisory group. And so that's really wonderful. There's nothing better than meeting a person in person. We can communicate via conference calls and emails, but in person and you get to pick up on what projects and organizations there are in each region. That's so valuable. We often leave wanting to do a little bit more and then getting stressed out because we've put too much on our plates that we want to figure out more about. Then they usually provide us with some professional or training or opportunity to um, discuss a topic, uh, which again is this advantage of the program is it as an advisory group, we, of course, um, I don't think I mentioned this, the purpose of us is to provide a, a perspective from a different group um, in the community. And so we are providing advice and examining topics put in front of us and are meant to participate in these organizations and projects. But also, this is an opportunity for us to be trained. Uh, the We have access to amazing, incredible people and professionals who are doing awesome work in the world. And so to be able to have training sessions as part of our day of getting together is so valuable. Uh, and then we generally are trying to think of how we can network or help each other, support each other uh, to do projects. Sometimes we go out into the city that we're in and go and see an organization or do an activity. Um, some of it's just a chance to kind of get to know each other because we spend so much of our year apart. We do have conference calls and we do get um, uh, newsletters sent out, uh, but this is a chance for us to really get to like, have one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and then when we are done that day, we get incorporated into the general AGM. And so we sit on the floor and we participate and listen, and we're encouraged to stand up and speak when it's asked of the members to participate. Um, and so it's the whole time there we're, we're just meant to be incorporated into it. So this year I know that they're going to be doing tours at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. It is a new museum still to a lot of people mm -hmm. and I think that's really valuable to be able to go into a, a new national museum and get to experience it. Uh, as well as I know we're going out into uh, a couple organizations in the 
city, I believe. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far ahead because I know it's a draft, uh, what they sent out right now. Yeah. Yeah. One of the pieces that I've always liked at the Canadian Fur Commission, yeah. uh, Canadian Commission for UNESCO AGM, is the um, they do a, a youth luncheon, and you and I were partners. I, at, how at could one I point. forget <laughs> to mention you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's I, I, I really like that model, and it's something that we've kind of taken as part of our Youth Heritage Forum. Here, we're doing a kind of a speed dating luncheon at the Youth Heritage Forum um, in 2016. Uh, but the idea came directly from the, the CCUNESCO and the YAG uh, members where at, at one of the lunches at the AGM, uh, you you get to sit down one-on-one with someone who's kind of in your field and, and have a conversation. Absolutely. It's a really great aspect to the program. And I know that the staff at the CCU do a lot of work ahead of time. You are asked if you want to participate in the mentorship lunch, and generally the answer should be yes, because uh, even if you don't connect with the person you're talking to, at least it's an opportunity to see. Maybe you have a network opportunity there. Um, And so I uh, always say yes, and generally ahead of time they pre-select somebody they think might be in your field. And I've gotten, I think I've done it four times now, and I've gotten, even though I'm in heritage culture, I had an archivist, uh, I had you as folklorist slash intangible cultural heritage. I've had um, um, more museology-based professional. And each time, it really suited what I needed. I remember the first time I was selecting a university to go to, and I couldn't figure out what I was going to do. And so to sit down with somebody who was in the field, working in a museum, they actually told me about a program I hadn't heard of, and so that was helpful. Um, I eventually ended up going to Fleming College for conservation and collections management, and I also did uh, University of Victoria's, at the time, Certificate in Cultural uh, Resource Management. And so then sitting down with you, I was kind of finishing school but looking at careers and professions, and so thinking about how I can adapt what I had learned in school to what kind of jobs were out there was really great. And the benefit is... One of my mentors lives in Manitoba, and so I still get to see her. Uh, I get to see and connect with you, as in this moment, when I get to come <laughs> back to Newfoundland and, and talk at a forum. So that is such a huge part um, that I have really liked of uh, Youth Advisory Group. Um, it's it's really neat, the uh, innovations that they do, and it's it's, I guess, not crazy different, but you don't often get to go to a program and have things like this happen. Right. Um, so I've always been really appreciative of what uh, they've planned for us a lot of the time. That's a huge part of the program. Mm. I'd like, uh, apart from the, the, the youth action group stuff, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing now, because I think this is kind of exciting that you're sure. working at this new museum that, uh, that has uh, one, of the, one of the very few national museums that's outside of <laughs> Ontario, you know? Yeah, Halifax and Winnipeg. Halifax and Winnipeg, that's it. The, the Pier 21, in, which mm-hmm. is the, the Museum for Immigration, and, and now this new museum in, in, uh, in Winnipeg. How did, how did you get oh, the job there? Oh, it's just a Gatineau, too, I guess. A Gatineau, yeah. yes. <laughs> how, did, how, did you get, uh, how did you get that position? Uh, I like to say I, I, like, clawed my way into it. I just never gave up. I was... Um, I had prior to working there, I was working a lot of different contracts, Manitoba, BC, Alberta, uh, Ontario, and I really wanted to settle back in Winnipeg, and I know that the museum was opening. Um, 
and so I just started applying to anything. I think I applied to three or four jobs in the educational side of the aspect of the museum, and then I landed one as a program interpreter. And so I've been fortunate enough in my career that I have kind of two streams that I'm interested in, educational aspects, programming, as well as collections management. So I started a couple of months before the museum officially opened, which is incredible. You get to see see this thing emerge. Uh, and I got to see it a little bit during construction um, and hear all the people who have been working on it for five years uh, or longer uh, to see it kind of open up in front of them. And yeah, I spent the first year tour guiding and program interpreting and doing educational programs for schools and uh, working with whatever they had going on for adults and children and the public. And that was so powerful because people would come in and they don't know what to expect. So you get to see the excitement or uh, you get to see the emotion as they first enter the building and start to read through things. And they, as a frontline staff, you get told a lot of incredible stories and you have a lot of personal connections. But I always kind of felt like a fraud because I didn't do any of the work to make it happen. Uh, But I was very pleased and always wanted to kind of like tell behind the scenes staff um, what we were hearing feedback on. Um, it can be very difficult at times because the content is very serious. So, so tell us a little bit then about about the but museum also itself. Yeah, yeah, like it was so for for people who aren't familiar with the museum. Yeah, you, what what is what is, what are the collections like? What what do people experience when they come into the space? Well, the museum is based on this um, model of sharing stories and ideas and uh, providing education about human rights as well as inspiring people to learn more and do more. And so our collection is not personally ours. We, um, we have items on display from many different organizations and museums and sometimes personal items that would convey or allow you to understand a story or experience a little bit more. And so when you're coming into the museum... Um, There's a couple of things to know about it in that the shape of the museum is really supposed to remind you of uh, going on a journey. You're entering at the ground floor, maybe below, and you're working your way up this mountain into the sky. And it's sending you on a journey to uh, look through some of the, uh, yes, some of the darker periods of our current and our historic um, uh, life, uh, but also to move through and see the evolution and see where we've stepped forward, where we've stepped back, where we need a little bit more work. And it's leading you to be inspired at the end. We want you to leave feeling uplifted that there are things going on around us that can make a difference, how you can make a difference. Um, but not forget that there are times where we need to uh, support each other and we need to look back and hope that some of these events would never happen again or um, that we can treat each other better and understand each other more. And so it's really quite an interesting museum in that way. Uh, There's a lot uh, digital-based programming and there's a lot more stories incorporated in. And we just encourage people to talk. Uh, One of the favorite things that I have in the museum is a share your story booth. And so you can interact with the museum. If you are going through the entire building and you have something that you want to say, you can go into this booth and leave your story. Uh, and if you allow it, the researchers will the researchers review all the stories that come in. And if you allow it, they will share it. Um, and so then it provides an opportunity here even more. Like we as an organization can um, put together 
as much as we can to present to you. But it's so incredibly powerful when the public can come in and be a part of that mm-hmm. um, and putting out information. And we can capture uh, their experiences right from them, um, right from persons in the community. And you don't have to be in at the physical location. You can do it online as well and submit it uh, or via other methods. Uh, and it's just a way to connect people across Canada as well as internationally. We have a lot of international visitors and we're not, uh, we are a museum that's focused on Canada, but of course we have stories that are connected internationally. It's just how the world is and how Canada is uh, as well. Do you have a, a, a story that resonates with you in particular? Is there something that you, kind of speaks to you from the collection? Or? Um, oh man, it, it's like, there's so many. Uh, I don't know if I could choose one. There's, um, I should say now I've, I've changed my position at the museum. Mm-hmm. I started off in the learning and programming department, and now I have shifted into the assistant registrar position. So I get to see um, objects on loan coming in before they're put on display and, and get to see a little bit more detail and hear why they were selected uh, and uh, prior to how they get put into the actual display. And so that allows me the opportunity to ask a couple more questions. So, um, is there? I can, yeah, I can't choose. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so, so hard to pick one. What? Well, then tell me about you're, you're saying you're, you get an opportunity to see some of these things that are yeah. coming in. Can you give me an example of something that's come in in the past little little while? Are you allowed to? Oh, I don't want to reveal anything <laughs> yet. I will say that um, I know that there are some that are very powerful having been on the floor and then also having been behind the scenes there are some objects and stories that are very powerful to many people kind of as connectors there's one uh, marisha rucker is a a young woman from the united states and she and her friends there is a a group of them who put together the first integrated prom uh, for their community Uh, previously the proms i believe were held uh, privately but they were segregated racially Uh, and so we have her dress up at the museum that she wore to prom when her and her friends successfully created this night where they can celebrate all their accomplishments as students together through the year and all their friendships as one big party rather than separating, which mm-hmm. made no sense. And and that, I should say, happened recently, like 2013, I think. Wow. Yeah. And so I heard it described once that uh, her dress you don't know what human rights looks like because it's kind of intangible and it's a feeling and an experience that you have. And then you come across something that can like physically represent it. And it was described as this is an object of change. And you don't know what change is going to be like until you kind of experience it. You might not know you're the person that's changing history or their experience for people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but in hindsight, like that red dress that she wore is a physical representation of a right, a human right and a change that happened. And so people will often stop in front of that. Um, which then can be conveyed into different messages. Uh, I always used to say, you never know, your shoelace could represent something in the future, that you have just decided to take action and do something and help somebody or or make a difference, and that could be that could end up being something that means change. The power is in you, really, is the message there. So we have uh, all sorts of things. Um, with the most recent anniversary of the women's right to vote, um, Manitoba having the anniversary, of course, at the time, not every woman got to the right to vote, but it was a step in the right direction. And so we have um, objects that are related to that story, or we have, uh, what else? 
that's really fun and interesting. Um, oh gosh, I can't wait to bring you there and show you all <laughs> them. There's so many incredible things, but also I should say powerful. Um, that we have uh, testimonials of survivors um, and people who have experienced really um, terrible events. Yeah, and and that can be the most difficult. I was telling the story to somebody the other day that. Uh, even as a tour guide, I was sometimes not prepared by the emotion that would come over you. And so you have to be prepared to sit, to just kind of be honest and say, this is affecting me right now. I want you to learn about it and then kind of figure out how you're going to do that. Maybe step away or, or come in. And you don't get trained about that in like right. school. Like, yeah, <laughs> no. But uh, it's, a, it's a life lesson. I mean, yeah. um, I talked about it with uh, human resources staff once and said, I don't know if I could do this. I'm really <laughs> nervous now that I know what's in there. And they said, it's okay to have emotions. It just means you're human and you care. Yeah. And that was probably the best thing they could have said to me at the time. We were, we were You and I were having a little conversation the other day. And you were talking about um, seeing some unedited uh, you know, testimony yeah. you know, that had... had that was very, very powerful and, and how you need, you know, sometimes you need a moment, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it happens, you know, in, in, in our discipline too, in folklore, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, doing folklore interviews or oral history interviews. And, you know, the, the easy part is turning on the tape recorder and collecting that person's story. But, but quite often those yeah. are very emotional moments. And, you know, I have on more than mm-hmm. several occasions had someone just start to cry in the middle of the yeah. middle of the interview. And that isn't necessarily something that you learn in the classroom. Like, how do I deal with this, no. the emotional importance of what we, what we do? And, it, and you, um, sometimes you can see it coming in yourself or in a, a person and you have the ability to be really considerate and, and care and, and kind of your job as a, a front, like a tour guide is to make sure that a conversation is being had that is, is safe for everybody to participate in and that you're providing the support that is necessary to make sure that people um, can learn and understand and share information. Uh, as an example, we have uh, pieces of the Berlin Wall, and they're very small. And they're in a uh, they're in this one section that's looking at right when you come into the museum, it's looking at what are human rights to kind of put everyone on an equal playing field. You might you might have a master's in human rights. You might have not have heard or understood what this topic is. Uh, so this is the space that we kind of talk about what it means. And there's these pieces of the Berlin Wall. And I'd say most people walk by and they just see pieces of like rock or rubble and don't really look at it. Um, And that's what's kind of interesting about items related to human rights. Human rights are everywhere. And so some people will pass by these pieces and don't look at them. And some people will stand there for a long time because they know the significance because they've had a connection to it. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting experience to have. It's, it's nothing like I've experienced before. Um, probably never again, because I, I got to live through the opening of this national museum. Uh, and it's made me better. It's helped me evolve and understand maybe what I need to add into my skill set or yeah. what I want to learn more about. Maybe, maybe that's a good place to, to wrap up. You know, going back to the, the, the conversation we were having initially about the, the youth and their engagement with the Canadian Commission for UNESCO, mm-hmm. if you were giving a piece of advice to a young person who is starting off uh, kind mm-hmm. of their journey into this world, what, what, yeah. what have you learned so far? Now that, you've been, now that you're coming out of the <laughs> youth and becoming say, an elder. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, that I understand so much more and my <laughs> life has figured out. I, 
which is not true, but is it's there still... one is there one important lesson that you think you've learned or Yeah, there's one important lesson which is it's so easy if you let yourself it's so easy to get what you want if you let yourself do it. A lot of what holds you back is the nervousness. And all I have to do is say hi to somebody. Hello, hi. That's it. It opens a conversation. And my approach is very social. Uh, I like to talk to people. But if you are interested in a topic and you just need to build up the courage to talk to one person about it, that's the start of a network. That's what I'd say is you just need to network. And people are people. They care about other human beings and they want to share information with you. And that's the best way to learn or grow personally, professionally is just to get out there and have conversations and kind of just be guided towards whatever it is that you're interested in. I'm always evolving and changing. Um, I just think the best part about that is like getting out there and experiencing the world. That's great. That's good advice. Thank you very much. And thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Dale. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Our production assistant is Stephanie Machikian. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or you can download us on iTunes. We would love to know what you think of the show. You can leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening.